Hey everyone, this is Rita Springer. Welcome to the Rita Springer podcast. If you have been joining us and downloading or streaming the podcast, welcome back. And if you are new and this is your first listen or you've just discovered this podcast, then uh, we just want to welcome you to this conversation around the table that I have actually loved having and starting these conversations. I think some of the subjects we've talked about are super important and I'm trying so hard not to bore you um, because I don't think this stuff is boring, but I um, that's my goal. My one main goal is not to bore you, uh, but to really talk about things that I think people need to hear, encourage people. That's really my number one thing is to throw life, to throw courage um, on people and to um, lift up people's heads toward the mountain where I believe and scripture says your hope comes from. So welcome again. I thought it would be just kind of a fun podcast to do kind of a song story. Maybe just start with one and intersperse song story podcast, you know, just as we get down the road here, a lot of people ask, where did that song come from? Or where did this song come from? And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about just the songwriting process and um, how sometimes our um, songs or our melodies that we're thinking of end up becoming people's anthems. Like really, that's the probably the best way to, to describe some of uh, the songs that we capture in our life that, you know, those moments where um, melodies can transport you right back to the very place that you were when you heard them, what was going on, what was happening. And um, music is powerful that way. And then I think that worship music, uh, especially uh, the worship music that is written with such great integrity and, and really comes from a heart of purity uh, transcends in people's journeys and God will use anything. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that God will use anything, but there's just something about when somebody sings something that is, that meets you on the road where your journey is that you never forget that particular song or that particular lyric. Sometimes it really doesn't even have to be, you know, we're not talking award-winning songs um, as it relates to how the world will give you an award for something but just melodies that um, are written in our histories, like written in our our um, our journeys over mountains and through trials and and tribulations and through our suffering and through our joys and through our experiences. I can't even tell you how many people have emailed me or I've seen at conferences and they're they they say over and over, "I had my baby when I was listening to your music and." You know, I don't know how many babies have been born to the sound of my voice, but um, I'm always, I'm always uh, blessed when people say it. I think that's very, very sweet, and I appreciate the fact that people want my voice in um, kind of these uh, these landmark places in their life where uh, it creates this memory for them. And so, you know, I didn't get into it. Obviously, if you've listened to any of my podcasts early on, I, I didn't really fall into music cause I, gosh, I thought I had this amazing gift and, and I was just going to be the world's greatest worship leader. I, I, there, we didn't really have that kind of worship leading when I started 
it looks very different on the platform than it does today. And um, you didn't really go to college to be a worship leader. You would you would have gone to music college or Christian Bible college or, you know, um, become a music minister, they called it, um, to, you know, just basically run the the music department or the the praise and worship department in your church. And it just looked very different when I first started. So to, again, be writing songs that become these anthems for so many of you, uh, it's it's precious and it's amazing. But in all honesty for me, I didn't start out thinking that I was going to raise some banner over people's household and write these anthems. Uh, I really, it was a genuine stumbling, tripling, tripping over the, um, you know, just the the feet of the Lord and, and realizing how much I needed him. For me, it was really needing him in my suffering. And so I get a lot of people who um, listen to what I do in the midst of their suffering. And I think it's because that, um, that well that I pulled my water up from, uh, when people drink that water uh, and listen to those, that music, uh, a lot of times that water ministers to the very same thing in people that was how the song was written, which I think is a great testimony of just the the person of Jesus, the, the beauty of um, the way God ministers to us and uses each other to minister um, to one another. So I've always been fascinated by that, just really fascinated by how, you know, um, I can send out a song because I'm willing to journey through an experience and, and my experience, it just alleviated some pain to sit down and write some lyrics and say, this is how I'm feeling right now in my honesty and my vulnerability and put a melody to that and, and then release that into the um, atmosphere and have people come up to me. I, I mean, numerous, numerous, too many, too many times to count. And they'll say or describe the very same journey that I had walked through in writing the song. And it's just always, I'm just always like, man, God, you were so, you were so amazing how you, um, you'll just pick something up and be like, well, I think this person needs it because they'll understand it because what's knit into this lyric and what's knit into this, the fiber of this melody line is the very same struggle that this person over here is having. And so it almost becomes like this balm of Gilead. These songs that we release become, you know, the balm for the church, which isn't just, isn't that just the way it, it, um, it's meant to be, isn't that the most beautiful thing? And, you know, again, um, always putting the spin and the truth back into what worship really is. And, um, you can't really write something that's authentic coming from an authentic place in our hearts. And we release those songs like boomerangs and then they end up always coming back. And there are moments when um, I am very profoundly shook um, by the Lord and he will, he will actually give me a, a commandment to listen to a song that, that I've written, like in certain seasons, he'll be like, go back and listen to that song. And to have it actually kind of boomerang back to my own soul and and be in the midst of sitting there being like, I remember when I wrote this truth and I never thought that I would still need this truth or need this truth in a different way today because 
I'm crying out to the Lord in a way that nothing makes any sense, but I've already written this. I've already written this. And the Lord will just remind me, hey, look, remember you already made this, you already made this declaration over your own soul. You already made this declaration over your own journey. Just remind yourself. You know, Bible says that David looked down at his soul and he would command his soul to hope in the Lord. And I, I do believe it's a it's a practice that we all need to take as worshipers and as those who are in relationship and um, a worshiping relationship with God. And when I say worship again, don't get caught off guard by me being a musician. I am saying the worth, the worth of Christ, the worth of Jesus, the worth of God. We are um, always to be walking in and shouting out and declaring the worth of the Lord and how can you not if you've had an encounter with Jesus? There's just, there's no way. There's no way you can't want to declare if you um, haven't had a true encounter with Jesus. You, 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 when you have those encounters, you're just like, there's nothing that can hold back. I think I understand, you know, when it says that if we're not going to cry out, the rocks will cry out. The rocks get it. The trees get it. Everything outside gets it. And they always pay homage to their creator. So, it, it really is truly a beautiful thing when when God allows you to be given a gift to make a statement that lays itself like blankets over people's households and and then is the blanket that you need to remind yourself to um, get back under uh, when your own household is struggling. So I am I'm just, I'm undone by that. I'm undone by, and how it just really kind of ministers to the Lord. So, you know, when I started the podcast out in episode one, it was a series I, I um, did called, you know, Everybody Has a Story. And every song that I, I've written has a story to it. And if I was sitting down with somebody and they just started naming off the songs, for the most part, I think I could sit down and and be like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm, I remember writing that, I remember doing that. They're all like in these little pinpoint places that have these little shelves in my heart where um, they were in seasons and in times when I was being asked to make declarations or reading something in scripture that... Um, caused me to think or process certain scriptures a different way or conversations I'd have with the Lord where the Lord was saying certain things that I was like, this is actually a song. Like I need to sit down and write this as a song. And so every song has a moment. Every moment has this opportunity. And when you think about us as writers, if you're not a writer and you're just kind of um, writing um, in the in the pleasure and the luxury of listening to songs, that many of us have written and they bless you, then um, you need to keep in mind that there are hundreds and thousands of songs that no one ever hears that we write except for the Lord. I remember actually very specifically, I don't think I mentioned this on any other podcast, but um, because I haven't really talked about songwriting a lot. I talked about coming into worship, but um, we need to do some like, um, I'll be in the future here, probably more um, in the, in the next year, really doing uh, songwriting um, practicums for you guys to um, just glean from. Uh, I'm, I certainly don't think I have the skinny on songwriting at all in any way, shape, or form. But there's my little niche or my little corner of the market that I've spent years and years and years kind of sharpening and trying to figure out. And 
um, and stay actually green in, right? Um, even though there's a lot, lot of knowledge there, there's a lot of things that I'm like, I don't want to get too used to that. Because if I get too used to that and don't stay green in these things, then I won't be surprised. And I want to be surprised by what I come up with. And so I'm a writer that listens to a lot of different music. And um, I can't tell you that that is um, primarily uh, Christian music. I don't, um, but to be honest, because everything I say on this <laughs> broadcast is honesty, but I grew up listening to a lot of really great, um, uh, you know, mainstream bands and I had older siblings. So, you know, there was a lot of, um, just a lot of different, you know, folk music in the household and a lot of John Denver, a lot of Joni Baez and Foreigner and, um, Journey and just a lot of different, um, bands that kind of graced, uh, the, the generations in my siblings and, um, I also uh, didn't really stay long in a household where um, we were so religious that we were like, you know, you're not allowed to listen to secular music. I mean, that was definitely um, a streamline in uh, some of the churches I attended as a young person. And some of the fear, I think, that I can kind of remember my father saying before he passed away, but... But there was this kind of, maybe it's my wild child side, but there was always this ear opening to the story that was being told in these songs and the fascination in my heart that somebody found a way to put this story together in a format with a melody. And that just was never really lost on me. That just was always just something that I just was like, this is fascinating. Like music is very fascinating. I wasn't um, fascinated as much in the theory of music, but really, really taken in by the construction of a song and the, um, the amount of of depth in the heart that had to go into a song. Now, as songwriters, you know, I remember early on telling the Lord, um, you know, how do I how do I know what songs for what? Like when you give me a song, how do I know what songs for what? And I felt very strongly that the Lord brought me down this kind of um, step program to um, just after a song was complete and finished, just to ask Him, like just. You know, I'm a big inquirer of the Lord, and I, I, I talk about it as if it's this this common thing because it's pretty common for me. But I just would just say, what is a song for? Now, some songs I would sit down with the intention of writing those songs. Like if it was a song that I needed to do for a special um, service in church, like a holiday service or something like that, there was an intention of sitting down writing a thematic song that I already knew was there. But usually most of my songs were birthed in the wee morning hours when I couldn't sleep or I just felt like I wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. And sometimes his presence came easier when it was just pitch black and just in the house and just silent, like quiet. Um, so I would find myself writing these songs and I would say, hey, Lord, what what does this one go to? Where does that one go to? And it was really kind of great because he's like, some songs really you're going to write and you're going to give them away. And when you give them away, you give them away and you don't ask for them back. You give them away as almost offerings. And so when I, I started um, attending the Vineyard Church and getting involved with Vineyard Music um, back in the day, and then I started writing for Vineyard, technically that's kind of what we did. And, and I, I think I did tap into this a little bit um, in my testimony, but 
you, I, I would write songs and I would give them to Mercy Publishing, which is, um, which is the um, Vineyard Music Label's uh, publishing company at the time. And, um, and so we'd turn our songs in, and if they used them for a project, then um, they owned all the publishing for that, and you gave them away. And, you know, um, there were some writers that, that wanted some of their songs back, and sometimes that happens in record deals and publishing deals. But I just really felt like the Lord said, when, when there is a song that is for the church or a song that you're doing and you're writing for these causes and you're giving them away, you give them as offerings. And you give them as if you're, you're you know, nobody would put a check in the tithe offering and then be like, I want my money back. I think some people actually do that, but I think it's just the most ridiculous thing in the wide world. It's it's kind of like, you know, when you meet a homeless person on the street and you hand them $20 that you have in your wallet and then you can't dictate how they spend it, right? You're just, if they, if, if, if they're drug addicts or whatever, if they're into different things, it's not your job to be like, hey, don't use this money on things that you shouldn't use this money on. It's that the, the beauty of what you're doing is you're giving because the Lord's asked you to give. You're giving because your heart has been tilted toward that thing. And so that's the same way with songs for me. They were offerings. And um, I had really no problem um, giving those to, to Vineyard so that the vineyard could use their integrity on how they used that song. I used to love, um, Wimber used to say a lot to us, um, uh, vineyard writers back in that day. It was like, God gives, um, us the songs and, um, we, um, we write the songs and we give the songs to the people and then the people give the songs back to God. So it was kind of like this beautiful ebb and flow of, um, you know, God giving us something, we're writing it, we're giving it to the people and the people give it back to the Lord. And then God gives us something. And, and so I loved that vision. I, I really love that vision. I bought into that vision. It made sense to my spirit. It made sense to the things that the Lord was, was calling me to. And so I would give those songs away. And then some songs he said, you're going to write, but you're going to, you're going to record them yourself. And those will be the songs that, that people know you by. So I was like, okay, that's great. That's great. He said, sometimes you're going to write for other people because other people can't put pen to paper and they, that's just not their gift, but they have a gift of, of song and, and, and voice. And so you're going to write those songs for those people to, to sing. And then he just said this kind of really sweet thing. He said, in some songs, when you write, I don't want you to sing them for anybody else but me. And so there have been a lot of songs in the course of my life that I have finished that I have thought to myself, wow, this, I can't wait for a congregation to hear this song, or I can't wait for this song to be on the next record. Or, um, and, and a lot of those songs, to be really honest with you, the Lord will just lean down and say, hey, that one's mine. Um, and don't, don't sing that for anybody else but me. And so I just tried to honor the Lord in those things. After a song was written, it would be like, hey, God, what, you know. So I thought that I would just talk about um, a, f a few songs and the journey of those songs and the story behind those songs, because some of these um, stories I don't think I've ever really ever told. So I'm going to take three songs uh, and... Um, and the first song, maybe some of you, you'd probably have to be, you'd maybe have to be a vineyard listener to um, listen to the song. But I, um, I talked in the, um, 
in the story, my testimony in, in the, I think maybe it was the second or the third podcast on Everybody Has a Story about the song I wrote that was the first song that was ever published called Make Us a Prayer. So that was kind of a storytelling song that I, I talked about, that whole beautiful journey of giving that song to the Lord and giving it to Vineyard and it... um it just being used all over the world, which was just really quite beautiful. And, and it was kind of a, uh, um, a focused song. Like it wasn't, um, make us a prayer was not a song that, um, uh, that would, would, was, would be big on the radio. It wasn't a song that was written for the radio. It, it wasn't a song that, you know, um, you know, you would play, um, uh, for a, like a, I guess in worship leading, we were like song one or song two, you know, it was more of a song three and, um, it was more meditative. It was more prayer housey. Um, and so it was just a different, it was a different vibe, but there was one song that, that I, I rarely ever play anymore, but it really has this place in my heart. Um, I so remember the moments of constructing it, writing it, Again, it was at, um, it was, it was on a uh, piano and, um, friend of mine's house in Anaheim, California. And, um, I used to come down there a lot and, um, hang out with, um, this beautiful gal who, I don't know if she's still with Soul Survivor, but I think she listens to this podcast cause Andrea, um, um, Andrea Tate. Um, I think that's how you say your last name. Um, I knew her as Andrea Argonda, but I used to come down and we used to, she had roommates and we used to, um, we just had the best time. I mean, we were just like kids, but we had the best time, um, just in her, in her single house and, um, going to conferences and, um, uh, she was such an incredible, she is still such an incredible singer, but back then she used to do a lot of BGVs and a lot of co-leading with the vineyard. And she, if I'm, if I'm, uh, remembering correctly, <laughs> Andy had a um, kind of a beat up, maybe grand piano in her living room, in the front room of the house. Maybe it was one of her roommates. I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe I'm not even remembering correctly, but I can see that grand piano sitting in that front window of her house. And I I just would, you know, when she'd be at work, because she worked for Vineyard Music, and I would come down and stay for a few days. And sometimes I would just be at the house for a while and I would sit in the living room and I would just play. And it was at a time in my life where, oh gosh, I want to, I want to, I want to be able to say automatically how old I was, but I was in my mid twenties. I know that to be true. And I was sitting at the piano and just, um, recalling, I was leading at the vineyard, um, a vineyard church in Seattle at the time here and there. And, um, we had this, man, those days were so great. I don't know what singles groups are now, but we just had some great single groups. And uh, a lot of my passion for Jesus really was birthed in some of these single Bible studies and, um, just the after church events that we would do. I mean, there was really kind of nothing like it. There was nothing like being in your twenties and just, you know, um, just getting together and hanging and playing volleyball after church and all those kind of things. 
And there, there, there was, you know, there wasn't a worry deep in me about marriage at the time. I was, of course I was in my mid twenties. So it's like everything was alive and well, and you know, you could dream out loud and it felt safe and you could still cut out wedding dresses and paste them in folders and, and everybody did it. And so all of us girls, I think were these big dreamers and, and there was this guy that um, was at our church that I just secretly kind of liked and I felt these feelings toward, but I didn't, I had never really felt that stuff before. And I'd never really kind of, I had, hadn't been dating guys or anything like that. But there was just this thing that I felt like the Lord had been asking me to open up my heart in a way to allow myself to experience um uh, you know, just the possibility. And so I, I, I had to really walk through this. Yeah. I think what the Lord's asked me to do is open up my heart to the possibility that, um, I can let somebody in, I can communicate, you know, I struggled so much with, um, just self-loathing and all those things that I talked about in the first three podcasts. I mean, if you want the whole story, go back to the first three podcasts, but, um, I struggled so much with my own self, you know, worth, that it was, I just remember it being such a cool feeling of feeling like God was speaking to me about something and, and opening up like these little windows of my heart and saying, what about this? And what about that? And could you expect this? And could you expect that? And the whole time, you know, for <laughs> you single people out there, you'll understand this, but for the, the, the whole time that's happening, you know, it's the Holy Spirit doing it. And God is like, I feel like his hand is on my heart and he's, he's just leaning in really close and saying things. And I'm learning, I'm in my mid twenties, right? So I'm learning how to hear the voice of God. I'm learning how to, to, um, to, to tend the voice of God in my life. Like I would tend to a garden and, and water that and be like, okay, I think that's the Lord. And then, and then risk, like just the risk that it took to hear the Lord and be like, I think he told me this. I'm going to, I'm going to say that he did. And at that point, you know, I, I wrote songs all the time, but I didn't really know how to be a serious worship songwriter. I, I felt like I was so much better just writing kind of these, um, folk rock, uh, storytelling Lilith Fair kind of songs with the Paul Coles and the Sarah McLaughlin's. I mean, I could write that stuff all day long. And then back then, you know, you, you, you could go to a recording studio. And I think maybe they were like $25 an hour or something like that, or 25 bucks for a half hour. And I could spend a hundred bucks just going in piano vocal, cutting something, putting it to tape. And then I, I would have these like little demos that have just my piano vocal of these songs that I had written. One of these, one of these days, you guys, one of these days I'm going to release, and it's got to be soon. It's got to be like next year. You guys will love this. I, I did this EP years, years and years ago called to the moon. And these are all like my, <laughs> my, my, these storytelling, um, these storytelling folk rock songs, you know, and it's so funny cause I brought those out just a few weeks ago I was a couple friends were here and I was like, Hey, look, this is 20, what, 23, 24 year old Rita. And it was just kind of a funny moment. Cause they were like, Oh my gosh, you sound the same. But they're actually listening to these songs. I'm like, man, I was a great writer. I was such a great writer. Why, you know, I probably would have made a literal fortune if I were writing back then seriously for 
um, mainstream film, all those things. It just, something clicked with me there. There was no pressure, you know, that sometimes you feel in the church to make people happy and to make an industry happy. There's some of that pressure that, that kind of squeezes in there. And if I was in a secular label, there'd be the same pressures, but when you're just writing for the sake of writing and you're just like, Yahoo, you know, you're just sitting down and you meet somebody on the street and you just write this random, cool, amazing song about this person you met on the street and your rhymes are amazing and your prosody's off the charts and, and, and you're just cool. Like I was just felt cool back then. And so I'm kind of in this place. I'm, 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 you know, I'm in these great single groups and the Lord's asking me to open up my heart to just experience the thought of what it would be like if I allowed, you know, a relationship or allowed myself to be loved or, or went on dates or, and so I was like, this is actually really the coolest feeling. Like I feel, I feel great. And there was this guy and, you know, I'm the kind of person, I hope this makes sense, but I'm really the kind of person and I've always been like this. I don't, my mother would say dilly dally. Like I don't dilly dally around. Like I have been on this course where it's like, okay, if this isn't the Lord, then we're moving on. And so, and I talked a little bit about, I think some of the single stuff, which I'll probably do a podcast on singleness, which will make everybody single happy because there's so much I could say about it. But, um, you know, I, I, I've just got to this point where it's like, if I, if I met somebody and they were really great and nice, and then I heard, or they said something about, um, dating somebody or liking somebody, um, it would be over for me. I'd be like, Oh, Oh, okay. So you, you've got somebody, you're, somebody's on your mind. Then let me step to the side and move on. Some girls aren't like that, but I was like that. I could see somebody very handsome and just be like, okay, I, uh, oh, he's married or, oh, he's in a relationship. And then it would just be like, flatline, it's over. Um, and I just didn't um, sit around pondering things because I carried this thing like, when it's the Lord, it will feel really beautiful and um, it will be, it'll be right. Not perfect because I'm not looking for perfection, but that it would feel right. And I, I felt that in this season of my life, it was really a beautiful feeling of being opened up. And for some reason in the midst of that, this, this reality of the holiness of God kind of entered in because I'd lived like this bride of Christ, right? For so long, I lived in this place of, he was the lover of my soul. He was my first love, all these beautiful kind of, um, you know, uh, journeys that I went on with the Lord. I remember reading Gene Edwards book, the divine romance and just being like, oh my gosh, like if you guys have never read the divine romance. It just was such a great book for me to read in my in my late teens and 20s. I think I read it twice. But I was also the geeky, you know, Jesus-loving teen um, that would seatbelt my passenger seat in when I learned how to drive because I was like, God's coming with me. And for some reason, I felt like I could feel him more with me if I actually, you know, latched the seatbelt in the passenger seat to let him know, look, you're riding with me. I got you in here. And as silly as that sounds, I actually look back on that and I'm like, oh my gosh, the Lord must have just been like, God, he must have just thought it was was so silly, but so proud of just my willingness to do any whatever it took to just be in relationship with the Lord. And so um, 
this season was just, I, I look, I'm even as I'm talking about it, I'm just the feelings of just newness, like all this newness, but here my only, um, you know, my only, uh, similarity was that I, I, I had fallen in love with the Lord and I wanted something to make me feel like what the Lord had made me feel like in the natural, to be seen, to be heard, to be noticed, to be, and all of a sudden this thing started happening to me where this, the holiness of God was kind of coming close. We were in these, this season of, um, you know, that was a very big word that was talked about in conferences, the holiness and, and, um, and that God wouldn't change, like the seasons of God wouldn't change. And so the Lord started asking me these questions like, how would I change for you? Um, what would have to happen in your life for who I am now to change? Because you're settled into this place. Can anything disrupt this place? Can anything disrupt this place? And I was like, nothing can disrupt this place. This is so great. And then this little kind of notification with this guy and... And we would have these long conversations and these long phone conversations. And I didn't really realize that guys kind of do that without thinking that there's anything there where girls are different than that. Girls kind of, <laughs> they hang on every word and they think things that guys just don't think. And I was too young to, to and too kind of green in that to, to understand that at that point. And the Lord was, the hand of the Lord was so on how I was, opening my heart up there, like these literal, I could feel these windows of my heart opening up saying like, how does that make you feel to be talked to? How does it make you feel to be, to be felt like someone notices you? All these really kind of crazy emotions that I'd never allowed myself to feel as a teen. Um, and I'd never allowed myself to feel as a girl. And just because I had such so much self-loathing, it was like, ah, oh, who would ever, ah, oh, who would ever, and the love of the Lord was really the conqueror for me. I mean, it was just my conqueror, my great conqueror. The finding the first love was just like, oh my gosh, it was everything to me because of that. And so, so I, um, I started writing this song and it was interesting because I was writing this song, um, I, I remember, you know, the, the chorus, um, it was a song called Dear Still Holy. And the chorus was, um, so I come into your chambers and I dance at your feet, Lord. You are my savior and I'm in your mercy. All that I've been, all that has been in my life up to now belongs to you. So there was just this, I was giving this thing over to the Lord, like, you know, this, this full, you know, so I come into your chambers and I dance at your feet, kind of this, I'm in love with the Lord. And I'm, and it just was this really sweet melody line. And then this kind of riveting, jarring thing happened with this guy where, um, he kind of just led me on and, um, and we actually had these kind of grounding conversations. And then all of a sudden, um, he just like from, from one moment to the next, he was engaged to be married and, and it was over. I mean, like overnight. And so I, and the thing is he didn't owe me anything and maybe he did because, um, he was kind of a jerk, but there, there wasn't a progression in the relationship, but it felt like all those just innocent windows that had been opened up just went slamming shut. And I I felt like I was propelled back into this darkness of my grief and my suffering of, see, you just lose. Like you lose everything. You lose everything. And then that voice of the Lord came again and was like, 
So how will you hang on to me? And like, like what, what would it cost? What would have to happen for you to let go of me? And that was the question. And so here I am, I'm sitting in Andy's living room and um, she's out there. And I put my, I, I, I get the phone call. So uh, we had a mutual friend and the friend calls and I'm like in this state of like euphoria. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, you know, you walk down the sidewalk after a great conversation or you're in a really great mood because you've had this great conversation and you feel seen and you feel like everybody knows that you're seen and everybody knows that, um, that something's just wonderful happened and you're nothing can stop your day. And I was feeling like that in my youth. And I was just like, something's happening to me. Like I felt like I was in a, in a uh, Disney Pixar movie singing, um, you know, a bell song down the street. And then all of a sudden this phone call happened and it was like, Hey, I need to tell you, um, this is what he did. This is, this is what happened. He's engaged to be married overnight. Like that, and it was just like this slamming of a door. And my my heart, my poor heart just broke in two. And, and, the, and I was sitting on the piano bench literally when this phone call came through. And in the quietness of that house, I, I remember just putting my hands on the keys. And that, that question that the Lord was saying to me, you know, could something happen to take away how you feel about me? Could something happen to take away how good I am? Could something have happened to take away how holy I am? Could something happen to take away how you feel about me? And and that started this vein of songwriting for me, I think, where I always kind of would go back to that corner and be like, can anything take away the presence of the Lord. Can anything take away that? And so I remember sitting down and that first line just was birthed. You know, holy, you are still holy, even when the darkness surrounds my life. Sovereign, you are still sovereign, even when confusion has blinded my eyes. And that's how holy, you are still holy was birthed. And what's interesting about that song is I only had that first verse and we recorded a version with just that first verse. And then there was an artist in Nashville that I knew that um, came to me later on. She'd heard the song and she came to me later on and she was struggling in her marriage. And so it was kind of this tension of, you know, she was in this, in this place of, of uh, going through a possible divorce with her husband and um, which they ended up getting a divorce and she had these two children and, and she was like, I need you to write me a second verse. And so the second verse to, to that, I ended up writing those lyrics um, based off, off of her story. So where, you know, I think the the first line, um, you know, holy, you're still holy, even when the darkness surrounds my life, sovereign, you're still sovereign, even when confusion has blinded my eyes. Lord, I don't deserve your kind affection when my unbelief has kept me from your touch. I want my life to be a pure reflection of your love. And so when she came in, I had written, you know, holy, you're still holy, even when I don't understand your ways and sovereign, you will be sovereign even when my circumstances don't change. Lord, I, I don't deserve your tender patience. When my unbelief has kept me from your truth, I want my life to be a sweet devotion to you. And so it was really kind of unique how those two kind of little broken hearts kind of um, were able to squeeze together to, um, to find the lyrics to this song that ended up becoming this anthem for so many people. 
and Vineyard put the song out and, um, and it just, I got so much mail. Like this is back when you get mail, like stamps and everything in the mail. And, um, I got so much mail about that song and about how that song put people back together. And I just thought, you know, writing that song and releasing that song and it becoming the anthem of so many brokenhearted people and thinking, okay, so is the cost of writing a song, God actually having you experience something that you have to actually have it cost you first? Sometimes I think, yes, I think that's the beauty of testimony is that we're going to journey through life. We're going to journey through things. And I don't think God, um, uh, tries to prove his point by, by bringing pain our way. I think that he was asking me to feel something that I can literally sit here and think, what a beautiful feeling. Like I remember the amazing feeling and I would never want to go back and not have those feelings, even though the heartbreak of, okay, here I am again. Now I'm questioning everything. Oh my gosh, does God even love me? You know, um, we may slingshot back into these places, but I think those anthems are there to remind us. Wait, 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 wait. Remember when, um, remember when you had a device that you could pick yourself up and look down at your soul and say, Hey, get back up off the ground. Remind yourself that God is good. Remind yourself that he is present. Remind, remind yourself that he is never going to leave nor forsake you. And I think what's so powerful about that is that God will say, Hey, um, I want to do something in your life and I want to teach you something. Are you willing to be taught something? Yeah, I'm so willing to be taught something. Okay, let me teach you something. And then he just leaves out the part that a melody is going to come after the, the lesson because the melody is actually going to be the band-aid for you. But here's what you don't know. That lesson that I'm having you learn is actually going to become the balm of Gilead for so many thousands of people. And that's going to be an anthem. And unfortunately, the the kind of the sad reality of the Lord is that um, he doesn't he doesn't ask us if we want to do it before we do it for the most part. Some people I think he might, but for me, he's never said, Hey, volunteer of hands, show of hands. Who wants to have, you know, a crisis, have to walk through a crisis and then have me give you something in the crisis that ends up being what other people, the crutch that other people need to, um, to stand up and walk out of their own stuff. And so, I love that about the Lord. I've learned to just really love that about the Lord. And so I love you are still holy. This song, you are still holy. Um, we can insert a little clip here for you too in the end of these songs. Um, but that is a story that will always like take me back to that moment, take me back to those, um, those monumental things. The, the other thing is, is the anthem of worth it all, which people ask me about all the time, Worth It All became such a massive anthem for people. And it wasn't anything that was written to become that. I never saw it like that. It was a moment again in, in my house in Houston when I moved to Houston many years later where I really was perplexed. And the interesting thing is that I believe it was that same artist, um, uh, I think her divorce was final in that in that time, and there was just a lot of other stuff going on with her. And and then there was this young girl who was um, uh, her name was Cynthia or Cindy, and her story just jarred me. Like she 
just lived in this um, chronic state of pain. And I don't think at that point I'd ever met anybody who lived in such a chronic state of pain. She'd been on a feeding tube for such a long time. And um, I just never met anybody who'd been prayed for so much in her life and would have these beautiful moments of, you know, God coming through. And then, but there, there really wasn't a release of healing. And, and so worth it all became this, just this, this conversation with the Lord. That's all it was. It was a conversation with the Lord one night late on the piano. When again, I was pondering that very same question of, I don't understand your ways. Oh Lord, I'll give you my song. and I'll give you all of my praise. It was, it was just this, I was like, man, if I could say anything to the Lord, do I want to say, I don't understand your ways the way they make me feel like this or the way they make me feel like this, or do I just cut to the chase in the thought process of these people in my life and and in my own predicament of things that I'm like, man, I'm still waiting for that. I'm still waiting for that. It's such an, it's just such a, a confusion that sets in sometimes with us in the long suffering and the longevity of our waiting for God to answer and the promises that sometimes take the long road um, to get to us for fulfillment. And so that was just a, that was just a moment. I mean, that song is so simple. I don't understand your ways. Oh, but Lord, I'll give you my song. I'll give you all of my praise. You hold on to all my pain. You hold on to all my shame. And with it, you're pulling me closer, pulling me into your ways. Um, and around every corner and up every mountain, I'm not looking for um, crowns or the water from fountains. I'm desperate in seeking. I'm frantic believing that the side of your face is all that I'm needing. And so I'm just going to say to you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And that's it. It's like a chorus. And it, but there was something about the simplicity of it. And I think my favorite songs to date that other people write are, um, I remember that, um, I don't know the author of it. I'm going to slip here, but it was a Hillsong song. And it was just the most simple chorus. And it was just, so many of you are going to know this um, when I sing it, but it said, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. And my heart, um, I'm trying to remember, the, and my heart always after you. And it was just this simple, like, I love you, I love you, I love you. And that really was what worth it all was. It was just this, this declaration, but there's something about those simple declarations that it's almost as if they unlock the chains on a prison cell. Like it's, it's not like, you know, let's find fire to, to melt the lock off. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's try to, you know, um, uh, find our strength to, to bend the bars. It's just this, almost this simplistic, I love you. Like, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. You know, up every mountain, around every corner and up every mountain, I'm not looking for crowns or the water from fountains. I'm desperate and seeking. I'm frantic believing that the sight of your face is all that I'm needing. It's going to be worth it. And I will say to you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's just almost like a drop off a mountain, you know, and I will say to you, and then you just kind of drop yourself off a mountain. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And free fall into this truth serum of this is really all you need to say to the Lord. Like it's really all you need to say to the Lord. And so when worth it all was birth, it, it just, it, it took on a, 
kind of a mind of its own. You know, it just had this, it met its crowd. It met its people. It, it met its, became the anthem. It became the banner over so many people's castles, you know. And um, maybe the third and last song that people ask me so much about all the time um, I'm going to save Defender for another day because I think it'd be great to do a whole podcast on Defender. But there's a song that I wrote. It, it It's what I call the simplest songwriting in the history of songwriting. But it is just called Sound in Your Love. And it um, did really well on radio. Josh Baldwin recorded it um, from a Bethel music record. And it was kind of the funniest, uh, quickest, simplest write in the world. And, um, I mean, it had some like, uh, text back and forth and some, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Uh, you know, for a month afterward, but, um, the, the kind of the whole of the song, um, was just a 30 minute quick thing. Ethan Hulse, who's just a brilliant writer, brilliant writer and a really, um, beautiful, um, soul, um, here in Nashville. I was actually living in Dallas at the time and I was with Gateway Church and we were in um, kind of these rites. Josh Baldwin had come in and we were writing for my my Battles record at the time. I think that was it. And um, or we were writing for something else and and um, I had these things I wanted to show him. And so we were kind of, we had spent the day writing this song and then we were going to pop over to the Gateway Worship Rites and uh, I just popped in with Josh. There was a song that Mark Harris, um, who many of you may remember Mark from For Him, the the um, main vocal on For Him. Mark is another just brother, um, comrade, um, just just such an incredible guy. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody like Mark Harris. Mark Harris never meets a stranger and he's everybody's brother. And he is um, just a an endearing soul. But he's also just a brilliant writer. He's a very different writer than me. Mark and I laugh about it all the time. We're so different in our thought processes. But um, Mark... Um, Mark had a man crush on Josh and Josh had a man crush on Mark. And so getting them together was so great because it's that, it's like a Southern railroad, um, two trains coming together that, um, ended up just kind of joining, um, tracks and they're just great. They're, they're guys born in the South, bred in the South. And, um, they just have uh, such a great rapport for each other and mad respect for each other. And so um, Josh and I went over to this right that was this rented, you know, VRBO home that Gateway Worship had done. And Ethan had been there all day riding. And so we just kind of flung in and it was kind of close to like, I don't know, six o'clock maybe in the evening. And so Hulse comes in um, to our right, opens the door to our right, and he's got to leave for the airport in like 30, 35 minutes. And so he's just kind of telling us about his song rights for the day. And he's like, but I had this chorus that I, um, I just, it never, it never, we never found anything for it today, but man, it's just, it's in my head all the time. And it's been in my head today. He's like, and so we were just like, I don't know who said, we'll sing it. And so Ethan just sings, 
you know, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. And he just starts singing this. And he's like, and we were just like, that's cool. Gosh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And right away, I'm like, well, I, I think I just said, um, well, what about, because it was one of those moments where, you know, this is how beautiful songwriting can be. You you are, you have to understand which lane you're, you're in, especially when you're in a song write room together with people, you got to understand which lane you're supposed to fill in that songwriting room. And so if you come in and, and you're in the lyric lane, um, then, you know, most people in the room, there, there could be another lyric person in the room that challenges a certain lyric or whatever, but, but a lot of times there's one or two really great lyricists in the room. There's a really amazing producer in the room. Um, there's someone usually that does really great melodies. And once you kind of know your lane, um, even with, with great lyricists in a room, it's like, I may come up with the line, but if somebody else that's a great lyricist in the room comes up with the line that you're like, yeah, that, that line's so much better than my line. Your maturity just is like, yeah, that's the line. Um, but there's, there's just respect that you kind of, you learn to grow in as a songwriter. And, there are sometimes these pieces to songs. And so it's almost like songs, I think, ride on the wind, right? And so when you're obedient to release them in the moment they need to be released, or just kind of, even if it's like what Ethan was doing, just kind of like, yeah, let me just play it. Let me just sing it for you. And he just, he he's grown willing to do that, realizing that um, as a songwriter, what, what could happen in room is the atmosphere can actually start to whip up and spin because... Um, it, it was met in the room with understanding or it was met in the room with the other part of the song. And that's, I think, the beauty of songwriting is knowing who to write with, how to write with, and who you feel comfortable with in a, in a, in a write in order to release those kind of things. And I think that was just one of those moments where once he released that, that original melody line, everything in me was like, oh, yeah, this. And so I remember I said, well, what I'm hearing is, darkness rise, roll over my bones. And from there, this song just kind of took format and we just wrote it really quick. And, and then we kind of played around with it later, never really knowing how that song was going to take off or what, what God was going to do with the song or how it would go to radio. Um, honestly, I, I don't really think about that too deeply when I'm writing a song because the moments are, are all so sacred to me. But when you think back on a song moment, you're like, whoa, like what a, what a crazy, what a crazy movement of events where you have Hulse and Harris and um, Baldwin and myself in a room. And I, you know, I could be intimidated with those guys cause they're so great. But I've, I've been around the block enough to be like, no, I mean, I, if, if nobody else caught that lyric, maybe we would have found something similar, but, but it was just the beauty of being in a room and, and being like, Hey, oh my gosh, this is what I'm hearing. And then you throw that and you risk it. And all of a sudden it's, it's like these flying pieces to puzzles that just start clicking themselves together that would have never clicked themselves together if risk wasn't involved in doing it. And then what you're doing as, as writers, what we're doing is when we're clicking that puzzle together in that kind of wild and crazy scenario that doesn't always happen, um, what you don't realize is you're actually putting the pieces together of people's puzzles that when they hear that song, they're like, yes, I'm not going to stand in fear any longer. I'm going to break fear off me. And so these explosions happen when the songs release over people's lives 
because what the truth of the song is saying is actually busting walls down in people's lives. And I'm telling you, there's no greater reward as a songwriter than those kind of moments when you're when you're just willing to be met in a moment. And you just don't know, right? You can write, you can write 50 songs and have one song catch. It doesn't mean that the 50 songs that you're writing aren't great songs. It means that the wind that was catching songs when they were, when you were writing actually picked up that one. And that's the one that, that carried into, into the people's homes. But, you know, it doesn't mean that it has to be even done. You have to wait for songs to catch the wind in the way the industry would want them to catch the wind. I think that's why I miss the old days because before downloads, before, you know, um, all of that stuff, you really carried a song in a conference. Like you carried the, the, the dust of a song. And, um, I, I remember when people would just write these really crappy chord charts because there were no chord charts. We didn't have chord charts. We just had to remember the melody line and scratch out what we thought, you know, the chords were until the sheet music actually came out. And now, you know, now it's just lickety splickety, you know, you can find anything anywhere, which is great. It's great resource. I'm not saying it's, but there's an organic quality to when a song um, is carried by voices of people across, um, as opposed to just like, you know, overnight, these overnight sensation stuff where it felt like you had to kind of put a little bit more effort into it sometimes with those other really beautiful songs that carried themselves on the backs of people crossing um, you know, flying in planes and crossing from conference back over to their countries and, and taking songs with them. So anyway, I, I love songs. I love their stories. Um, I want to kind of intersperse these episodes in where, where I do these song stories just to let people know. In fact, you can always DM me or you can email me, um, um, comment on the podcast, like, we want to hear the song story about this, or we want to hear the song story about this. I'll do um, maybe some Instagram stuff too, where I'm like, hey, going to do another song story podcast. What songs do people want to hear? So anyway, those are the the three of um, just stories that sit with me, that still sit with me, that I love about those songs that um, I think are great. I, I don't want to, I don't want to forget those stories. Those stories are, um, those stories are the things that shaped my seasons. And um, yeah, so I hope that they continue blessing you guys. And I hope that maybe if you're writers out there and you're um, you're writing these stories, um, let me just encourage you, don't ever think that what you have to offer um, can't be somebody else's oil. Um, God can use our words, he can use our melody lines to do really amazing things over the burdens and the wounds of other people. And I think we need to keep that sacred as worship leaders and keep an understanding that this is not about selling songs and making, um, uh, giving us checks and making us rich. These really are, we're in this as authentic worship leaders to tell, uh, to, to find the words and tell the stories that we're being healed with so that God can actually um, uh, put all those ingredients on the altar of incense and burn it to be the healing smells that come off the altar that are pleasing to the Lord and that God can use to heal nations. So bless you guys. <laughs> <laughs>